Hi, this is Chris McGregor of Discerning Hearts, asking for your help during this Lenten and Easter season. Support from our listeners is vital and allows us to bring you and many others high-quality spiritual programs like the one you are listening to now. It also assists us in our outreach to areas around the globe, touching literally millions of souls via the World Wide Web. Our highly rated free Discerning Hearts app allows you to access over a thousand audio files as well as video content now available on our expanding YouTube channel. We've been able to offer online spiritual seminar retreats with Father Timothy Gallagher, Dr. Anthony Lillis, Monsignor John Essef, and Deacon James Keating. The heart of our mission is to help foster authentic spiritual formation for the seeking soul so they can fully encounter the living Christ and share in his mission of healing hearts and spreading the good news to the world. Please, won't you help us to continue this important work of evangelization by donating today to DiscerningHearts.com. DiscerningHearts.com presents Building a Kingdom of Love, Reflections with Monsignor John Hessif. Monsignor Esif is a priest of the Diocese of Scranton, Pennsylvania. He has served as a retreat director and confessor to St. Teresa of Calcutta. He continues to offer direction and retreats for the Sisters of the Missionaries of Charity. Monsignor Esif encountered St. Padre Pio, who would become a spiritual father to him. He has lived in areas around the world, serving in the pontifical missions a Catholic organization established by Pope St. John Paul II to bring the good news to the world, especially to the poor. He continues to serve as a retreat leader and director to bishops, priests, and sisters, seminarians, and other religious leaders. Building a Kingdom of Love, Reflections with Monsignor John Essif. I'm your host, Chris McGregor. Welcome, Monsignor Essif. Thank you. Thank you, Chris. Uh, some uh, years ago now, I don't know how many, um, there was a, a passion film that came out. I think everyone practically who is a follower of Jesus and a disciple of Jesus wanted to see that film. And they, many have seen it several times. So it wasn't that they just saw it once. And that brought very clearly before our eyes the suffering, the physical suffering of Jesus Christ. And and it was is very accurate in his presentation. Do you remember who that was that produced that? Mel Gibson. Yes, yes. And he was supposed to have had a lot of technical advice and biblical advice and scriptural advice in producing that film. I'm looking at that, perhaps with the awareness that all of you who are listening to me have seen that film, and I would like to recall it. We had a preview of it before it came out, and I was with my bishop at that time, Bishop Martino. We were able to see it before it was shown in the theaters, and they wanted certain priests, and I I was able to look at it. What particularly struck you about that film that you hadn't concentrated on before? I would say that the most obvious thing for so many, I think, was just the sheer violence that was done. But probably the most compelling thing for me was the portrayal of the Blessed Virgin Mary and her steadfastness throughout the entire ordeal. For whatever reason, it's like when you almost couldn't endure to watch any longer, you could because she did. Yes. And so that's the thing that 
it continues to strike me every time I see it is not only what our Lord endured, but the strength of his mother. And and you remember the scene of the scourging mm-hmm. and uh, when Pilate's wife, sensitive to Mary, brings the towels of where mm-hmm. all the blood had dripped from his back. And mm-hmm. she went out and soaked up the precious blood. Do you remember mm-hmm. that scene? That was a, for me, it was a very powerful scene, the one I remembered. First, that time that was spent in the film on the scourging. Then the mockery, the uh, crowning with thorns and his kingship. So that Jesus, in enduring the passion, was uh, enduring uh, these, these sufferings. I, I would really think that two things for uh, Good Friday, as you are going to par- participate. I would imagine in every Catholic church and in Rome, where we would have a, a memorial and a remembrance of his passion and death by the Stations of the Cross. Mm-hmm. Many times during this Holy Week, I've heard a lot of confessions. People come and want to go to the sacrament. The penances that I give is that the penitent would make the Stations of the Cross. And I would ask them to, in the, as they make the stations, you know, the 14 stations, the yeah. first one is Jesus is condemned to death by Pilate. And if you place yourself as you make the stations in Jesus' presence, over and over again, when we approach Good Friday, we are not approaching the suffering and death of Jesus on the cross and his passion as it took place only in the year 33. That's a very shallow celebration of Good Friday. Uh This Good Friday, you, you are suffering and dying and rising. You are going through the passion, and I am. And if we look into our own hearts and see those events of our life, which we can unite with Jesus in his passion. And so take the first station. See yourself, yourself, standing before Pilate. Here is a judge and who is rendering you false condemnation. You are going to be condemned and you are going to receive this punishment for something you didn't do. Now, can you remember, Chris, or those of you who are listening, being lied about and falsely accused? Whatever Uh that might be, take that event where you had someone say that you did this and you knew you were innocent of what you're being accused of. That kind of pain that you have in being falsely accused is the kind of pain that was in the heart of Jesus. How can you compassionate or enter into the passion of Jesus Christ other than? more deeply what happens to me. There's an old Jewish saying, a scratch in my hand hurts me worse than your foot cut off. I can say, I can stand before you, Jesus, and look at your condemnation falsely. But how do I know and enter into it by what happens to me? 
And so as I am falsely accused, whatever that might be, then I have a suffering that is mine. That suffering that is mine is his. And when I have been lied about and I know the truth of it, that's what Jesus said to Pilate. He said, are you a king? He said, yes, I am. I have come to tell the truth. I am a king of truth. And so in your heart, in the midst of your being lied about, your union with Jesus through your baptism, through your confirmation, through your heart, through love, is you speak the truth with love. And so think of that event and unite it with Christ as he is being falsely condemned by Pilate. In that, in that trial, the, what he had been accused of by the chief priests, and now he's, he's going to be crucified, so that the injustice, the, the lie, the false condemnation, which you may have suffered, can be united with Christ on the cross. Now, have you lost your reputation? Are you listening at, at today to this? And, and someone has accused you of something and you suffered in your reputation because of it? You constantly find that there are people who have gone through this kind of suffering, false accusation, false condemnation. And how many of us today can and have the opportunity to unite this kind of suffering with you were falsely accused for whatever it was, but there are things that I have done and that you have done that have been sin, which really deserves eternal damnation. And Jesus accepted this for our salvation and redemption. So always remember that this was the Son of God who in the year 33, was going to be condemned to be crucified. Crucifixion was one of the most barbarous ways of putting people to death. Capital punishment in our day, well, we, we kind of do it in a, in a way that we consider as a civilized nation, the gas chamber. When someone is going to be put to death, I, I worked in prisons, and uh, we thought the electric chair was... we. We're familiar with that. Mm -hmm. I mean, when people say he's going to be uh, executed and he's going to be put in the electric chair. Th those who are connected with that kind of killing, you say, crucifixion we weren't familiar with. And so when a person was condemned to die by the cross, and in those days, the execution was that the condemned person would carry his own cross. Now, Jesus would never have been able to carry the full cross. It would have weighed about 800 pounds. The vertical bar was mostly in place. If you think of the cross as being an upright standard that was in place. When the Romans killed the day that Jesus suffered crucifixion, three of them were, were going to be executed. And they had several of these like telephone poles that would have been standing there prepared for the cross 
And the cross is the crossbar. That is what the condemned person would carry to the place of execution. So when we say Jesus carried the cross, in the, the time that we came to recognize that this was being done was like in the Middle Ages. We really didn't know how they did it. But they actually, the way they did it was to have this huge beam, was like a tree trunk, that was placed on the shoulders of the one who carried the cross. So the, what Jesus really carried was the cross beam, which would have weighed almost 200 pounds as he was being crucified, to have him arms outstretched. And then the nails would have been placed into this cross bar. Do you, do you see the picture there? Huh? So, uh-huh. so that Jesus is now carrying this beam that weighs a couple hundred pounds of his death. He struggles along to carry that up to the hill of Calvary. The nails were not placed in the palm. If they were placed in the palm of his hand, a lot of times we, we think of the nails going into the palm. In, and in the movie, it did have the crucifier knew if you take your wrist at the top of your hand, right there, there's a separation in the bone. There's a, a large bone in the hand so that if a nail was driven through that, then that bone would not pull away so that the weight of the body, when the nail went through the hand into the wood of the cross, so that the hands were then nailed to this cross beam, the soldiers would have lifted the cross beam into the vertical bar, which was like beveled out, and it would be more like a T. Mm-hmm. And, and that's where, that after they would nail the hands, they would lift the person to be crucified, place this in, in place, and then nail the feet to the vertical bar. That's probably the way Jesus was crucified. Jesus did not die of bleeding to death. As they studied the way the death really occurred, it was by suffocation. When he was hanging on the tree, the only way he could breathe in, but he couldn't breathe out unless he pushed up on his feet. And the longer he hung on the cross, because he had been scourged and really beaten badly before he was crucified, he died. And so when he was dead, he couldn't, the reason why was he suffocated to death. He breathed in and then he couldn't exhale. He died of suffocation. The two that were crucified with him were still pushing up on their feet. And so the Romans, who knew how to hasten their death, broke their legs. And so they were no longer able to push up. And they then soon died in the same way that Jesus did by suffocation. The horrible, horrible death that Jesus died. Christian modesty has us put a loincloth on him. But part of the humiliation and degradation which the Romans wanted to inflict on the crucified was they would be crucified naked to humiliate them even further. I think some time ago it was discovered that Americans were doing something with prisoners and and part of what they were doing was taking their clothes off them. Mm-hmm. Nakedness is such a such a humiliation to be 
humiliated by being naked before the crowd. And so here was Jesus. All the things, you know, St. Thomas says the everything that a man puts ahead of God was crucified with Jesus. Honor. You know what people sell their souls for, to be honored. Jesus was so degraded. His honor was such a humiliation for Christ. Here he is, the king. And that's what the that's what the sign was that they put why they crucified him, that he claimed to be a king. Our king was so humble and meek. Riches, here he is stripped and poor, that people give themselves for riches, pleasure, suffering. And so the the crucifix, the sign of Jesus crucified, is for all those things that people give themselves for honor, riches, pleasure, fame. It's totally contradictory. He is the king of humility. And all this being rejected, crucified, he loves in return. Father, forgive them. They know not what they do. The physical suffering of Jesus Christ in being uh, humiliated and crucified and rejected is one aspect of it, but it's the hatred that has come against him and the, the rejection that he experiences in his sacred heart. The outpouring of divine love that is here for all of us, that God, who is our Father, gives us Jesus. What is eternal life? To know you, God, and your Son, whom you have sent, and he who has given us the last drop of his blood on the cross. Jesus, in giving us his love through crucifixion and death, reveals to us this infinite mercy and love of God. God loves me. God loves you. God loves this world. The outpouring of divine love is symbolized by the crucifixion and death of Jesus Christ. Good Friday is the symbol and sign of the infinite mercy and love of God for every human person, for all of mankind. If you were the only person in the world, God, in order to save you, would have sent his son. If you were the only person in the world, Jesus would have died on the cross for you and for me personally. That outpouring of divine love is for every human being who now exists in the world, but who existed in the year 33, but who existed from the beginning. The cross is the center of all of human history. So Jesus from the cross, as he looks in all the past ages, from the time of Adam and Eve 
all down through the centuries and millennia and ages up until the time of his crucifixion sees every person who has been under the brokenness of sin and Satan and death. And he says to each person, I have died and poured out my life for you. And from the moment of his crucifixion and death up until the end of time, the cross is that divine symbol. It's the cross, the center of all time, so that right until the end of time, every sin he saw from the cross anticipated that this would be offered to God as insult and brokenness from the human hearts that he was coming to save. And with infinite love, the Father sends his Son, the Son gives his life in response to the Father's desire. Father, I don't want to do this, but whatever you will, your will be done. And that's what he does from the cross. And so every human being on the face of the earth, and that ever will be, he has saved. And so if we play it out from the year 33, the first, second, third, now we're in the 21st century. We're in this year, this Good Friday. Now, this time, when we celebrate, the church is praying for the entire world. And so what do we do on Good Friday? The readings that we have for all of history are here from the prophet Isaiah and the call and the reading from Hebrews of what Jesus has come to save. We have a great high priest who has passed through the heavens, Jesus, the Son of God. Let us hold fast to our profession of faith. That is our faith. Jesus is this Savior of all of mankind. And so he, he has done the will of the Father. He has come for the salvation of all of mankind. Then we read the Passion according to John of how he lays down his life. The magnificent reading of John's gospel is you almost get some idea that there's a power in the in the synoptic gospels that the high priest has that Pilate has to have Jesus crucified and of course that isn't the truth because the truth of all his life is this is what he's saying but it's really summed up in the way John says it you don't take my life from me he tells tells Pilate I lay it down and I take it up. I can lay it down and I can take it up because I have come to give you my life for your salvation. The king is in charge. He is the victor. And so when he comes, the, the, all the forces that come against him of the devil, all the forces that come against him of sin, and all these forces of death, he conquers. He conquers sin. He conquers Satan. He conquers death. And what is that sign? 
Jesus crucified. When I am in, uh, I have many times because of my role as an exorcist to meet the devil face to face as he comes and wants to have power over people. And the way some people even portray the devil in, in some ways, like he has this power as if there's something equal between him and God. Absolutely not. Because of Jesus, the power of God to destroy the kingdom of evil, the kingdom of darkness. And so in our day, what is the greatest sign when I meet these forces of evil that come against the forces of good, the forces of darkness that come against this force of light? How do I meet it? With the sign of the cross. By the sign of the cross and in the name of Jesus, I bind you, I chain you, and I silence you, you wicked spirit. That's the power of the cross. Today, in each of our lives, as we celebrate Good Friday, this Jesus on the cross, this Jesus, this is the sign. He said that, if I be lifted up, I will draw all to myself. Lift high the cross. And so as we celebrate, there's a, a spirit of life, a spirit of faith in the cross. And now that same spirit, that same power is in you as you meet your own personal crosses. You know, when we say, Jesus said, I am laying down my life and I will take it up again because that's what my father asked me to do. But then he says to his followers, you also must take up your cross and follow me each day. He who dies to himself shall live. And so our suffering and our dying to ourselves is an enormous power for his life within us. He increases in me. That's what John said about Jesus. He must increase. I must decrease. He was the last of the prophets. There is none greater, Jesus said, than John the baptizer. Yet the least in the kingdom of God is greater than he. Who is that? That's you. You're greater than John the Baptist. He's a prophet of the Old Testament. You are Jesus in the New Testament, baptized, confirmed. And as if you're a priest, ordained, you have power in him, through him, and with him. A woman once, when she was at Mass, I just recently heard this about her. She's, she was just an ordinary person. She was at Mass, and the priest was holding up the host in the cup, through him, and with him, and in him. Almighty God, Eternal Father, in the unity of the Holy Spirit, all glory and honor is yours forever and ever. Amen. That's that conclusion of the Eucharistic prayer. With that, she had an ecstasy and was taken to heaven. And she experienced through him and with him and in him that power that that brings us to and the eternal life. 
And she began to see souls of her grandparents, souls of people that she couldn't possibly have known about and that they were in heaven. And she was telling people after the three days of her return from being in glory with him, through him, and in him, through the cross, we have entrance to glory. She only had those three days in that mystical experience of what heaven is. But all of us are going to have eternal life through him and with him and in him. And there's no way of attaining this until we go through the suffering and the death that we might arrive at the resurrection. There can be no resurrection without death. There can be no Easter without Good Friday. It is so important for each of us to realize during this triduum, yesterday, in entering into our priesthood, in entering into the passion and death of Jesus, this suffering and dying is is so important. And so when you make the stations, when you make the stations, who is your Simon of Cyrene? You know, do you have one? Maybe, Chris, you know, as you, as, as you responded to me and the voices of all those who might be hearing this, don't you have someone in your life that has helped you carry your cross? Uh-huh. That's your Simon. Who might that be? You know, you can have it in your own mind. Who, when they see you suffering and going through a lot of agony, is your Veronica? You know, the the woman who came and bathed Jesus' face that was so bloody and covered with spittle and humiliated and how she, in compassion, wiped his face. I remember one day being in Beirut on a bus and some extremists were beating up this bus driver. and they knocked his teeth out, they smashed him, they beat him and beat him. And after they had left, I, I remember this woman going up and just taking her, I don't know what she had, something, that she just began to wash his face and take the blood off his bloody face. There's Veronica. How many of us have experienced being ministered to by someone in our life who, when we were suffering, bathed our, our foreheads from sweat and pain. And, and who was there? Who's your Veronica? Who stripped you? Who just left you hanging there naked before the crowd? You know, who came up and in the schoolyard bullied you and left you naked? before everyone to be laughed at. Think of that. A lot of people these days are being bullied in school and made fun of. Some kid who might be a little different and he's made fun of and bullied. And instead of returning the hatred to see Jesus here being stripped, you and how you can love and forgive when you reject it. All of us can, you know, you, you go into work and you're 
embarrassed in front of everyone in, in work and your work has not been satisfied to the boss who's so horrible to you. Get your desk emptied and get out of here. Stripped and embarrassed. And instead of going back to that scene and hating that boss who fired you to forgive. So many of us have our own stripping. And spiritual writers say, and can you testify to this in your own life, that it wasn't so much the physical pain of the nails in Jesus' hands and feet that really caused him the pain as the the hatred and the rejection, the unrequited love that he had for the people there beneath the cross when he was dying and being ridiculed and rejected. Uh, he, he said this at, at Paralimonial when he showed us his heart. It wasn't the wound in his side by the pain from his enemies. It was the thorns in his heart from his friends who treated him with indifference. Have you had that pain? Have you loved this daughter of yours so much? And she's just gone off and she just doesn't care. And you just love her so much and have sacrificed so much for her. And your heart is just torn like his because she just doesn't care. You know, I'm dealing with this mother now. She's so angry with her dad, mother and father, because this boyfriend of hers has treated his daughter so terribly. And he doesn't want her to see this boy anymore because he's been so cruel to her. And this girl's only 13, but she's so angry with her father. She really hates him. He feels that pain. And he, he, he himself was a, a psychologist. And he said, you know, when I dealt with this with other people, I thought about, you know, the, the pain they have with their children rebelling against them. But he said, this is the first time it's happened to me. He's a child psychologist. And his daughter is rebelling against him. The crucifix, uh, the, the crucifixion of Jesus and the crucifix is for each of us an enormous teaching and sign, not only of the divine love which the Father and Jesus had for us, but actually what we have a capacity to have for others and for God and for God. The, the suffering that you're going through which God is asking you to go through. So many people that I deal with also, why are you putting me through this, God? Why do I have to go through this? And so those, those angers that we may have with God because of the, the crosses that he said, how could you possibly love me and let me experience this kind of pain? That anger that Jesus had on the cross with his father Allahi, Allahi, lama sabachthani. My God, my God, why have you abandoned me? That, that cry of Jesus from the cross, my God, 
my God, why have you abandoned me? The suffering of Jesus that's in that cry is also in the Good Friday cry. Jesus, in you, O Lord, I take refuge. May never be put to shame. In your justice, rescue me. Into your hands, I commend my spirit. You will redeem me, O Lord, O faithful God. Father, I put my life in your hands. For all my life, O my God, why have you abandoned me? Is it okay to get angry with God? I'm asking you, is it okay to get angry with God? We don't want to. Is it wrong to be angry with God? No. No. Jesus got angry with God on the cross. My God, my God, why have you forsaken me? Jesus was the perfect son of God. He never sinned against God. And when he's angry with his father on the cross, you know that Psalm 22, that's what he was quoting. Allahi, Allahi, lama sabachthani. My God, my God, why have you abandoned me? was a cry. And he prayed that, Psalm 22, many times. Why did he now say, now say it on the cross? Because all this, this anger, this violence of the, everyone in the whole world, here, here he is, the center of the whole human race right now. And every demon is from hell is coming against him. Every sinner in the entire world has turned away from him. Every person in the world is in need of him, and he has loved them and received no little, no love in return. And he's, he's here forsaken. But now it is not only them that he experiences this from, in the deep darkness of his heart, even though his God is still with him, because there's this light there yet that never abandoned him. He was the son of God who always saw the face of his father, even on the cross. In his human nature, why have you forsaken me? He was able to experience that with us. He was like us in all things except sin. And he now cries, why have you forsaken me? with that Psalm 22. But even in the end, as he continues to pour out his anger at God, you know, so your son was killed and he was 17. And you hear at his funeral, it was God's will. My God, my God, why have you forsaken me? How could you do this to me? Don't you know my pain? Yes, he does, on the cross, so that he could even say to God, why have you forsaken me with you? And you will know, he knows what you're going through. There is no suffering in the world which he didn't endure, including 
getting angry with God and not sinning. He was like us in all things except sin. And after he cries this anger in total submission to his father, he then turns to his father and all things now have been completed. It's all now finished and he dies. And in his death, in his death, we have been saved. And it wasn't until he died, he went through everything we go through, including death. Jesus dies. And when he's dead now, because he wants to show us a sign of his love in death, the soldier pierces his side and out comes blood and water. And John is there. It's in that gospel. You'll see it. In that gospel, he, he sees the blood and water. The water, the universal sign of baptism. And the blood, the universal sign of the Eucharist. When you look at the image of the Sacred Heart, there it is. The blood and the water. When you look at the universal sign of divine mercy, the rays coming from his side, the white rays, the sign of baptism, the red rays, the sign of blood, both of them the sign of his infinite mercy pouring out of him after death. And now the resurrection. But today, let's not anticipate that. Let's remain in the spirit of Good Friday, Jesus suffering and Jesus dying. On this day, hopefully, as you accompany him on Good Friday, I think it's very important to be with him in the tomb. It will be also for tomorrow, a holy Saturday. See yourself taking him down from the cross. Mary had been there at the foot of the cross when he was dying as part of Good Friday, making an essential part of Good Friday to be with Mary. And go up on the cross because Jesus said to you, behold your mother. And Jesus said to Mary, behold your child. So you are her daughter. Yeah, she is. She loves you, Chris. She loves you, her daughters, like she loves Jesus. Same love. What's in you are here. Are you are Jesus to her, and that that love that she has for him, that same tender love she has for you, especially when you're suffering and when you're dying. I would make it a part of of Good Friday to to take those nails out of his hands. Go up there on the cross. Get a ladder in your imagination. Take those spikes out of his hands and see the weight come down as he falls on you from the cross. Take those spikes out of his feet. Hold him. And, and then take him and lay him in the arms of his mother. Or, better still, take the spikes 
out of your own hands and your feet. And now that you're dead, lay in the arms of your mother. How many of us are so beaten this Good Friday that we just want to be embraced by Mary? When he is there in the Pieta, that famous statue of Michelangelo, where Mary is holding the dead body of her son, don't you feel that way sometime? Beaten and exhausted, wearied, and in some way dead. If that's your experience this Good Friday, let yourself down on the lap of Mary. Let her hold you and bring you back to life. Let her comfort you. You are her child. Behold your mother. Behold your daughter. Behold your son. Good Friday. Did you ever wonder why we call this good? This Friday on which he died, we call good? It's because he and I have become one. His sufferings are mine. My sufferings are his. And I experienced that through my baptism, through my confirmation, through my ordination. Your sufferings are his. And you experience that through your baptism, through your confirmation, through your union with him in Eucharist. You and Jesus are one. His pain is your pain. And every suffering and pain you have, willed by the Father, will bring glory. In the middle of the pain, because it will be the Father's will, whatever I go through, that my Father is asking me to go through, Whatever suffering and dying I do is the glory of the Father. I, I think of no better way of concluding this Good Friday meditation in contemplation other than the sign of the cross, which I will make over everyone who is listening to this. And when I make that sign, that symbol of divine love, if you yourself would bless yourself with great reverence, knowing who you are, that my sufferings are his and his sufferings are mine. Let his cross penetrate into you because it's the sign of love. There is nothing more blessed than the cross. Every priest who blesses, blesses with the cross. It's a sign of love. May the blessing of the Lord be upon you. I bless you in the name of the Lord. May the goodness of the Lord be upon you. I bless you in the name 
of the Lord. Were you there when they crucified my Lord? You were. Were you there when they crucified my Lord? Yes, you are. Oh, sometimes it causes me to tremble, tremble, tremble. Were you there when they crucified my Lord? Were you there when they nailed him to the tree? Yes, you are. Were you there when they nailed him to the tree? Oh, sometimes it causes me to tremble, tremble, tremble. Were you there when they nailed him to the tree? Amen. Amen. Thank you, Monsignor Esif. God bless you. You've been listening to Building a Kingdom of Love, Reflections with Monsignor John Esif. To hear and or to download this conversation, along with hundreds of other spiritual formation programs, visit discerninghearts.com, or you can find it within the free Discerning Hearts app. This has been a production of Discerning Hearts. I'm your host, Chris McGregor. We hope that if this has been helpful for you, that you will first pray for our mission, which is to offer rock-solid and authentic spiritual formation freely to souls around the world. And if you feel us worthy, consider a charitable donation, which is fully tax-deductible to help support our efforts. But most of all, we hope that you will tell a friend about DiscerningHearts.com and join us next time for Building a Kingdom of Love. Reflections with Monsignor John Essef.